Listen up or run for cover. Dropping knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. The, the real Bradley Bombs is dropping. What it is, Brad Lee back again with another episode of Dropping Bombs. Today in the studio, kids, I got a real treat for you. Now, if you guys haven't heard of this gentleman, then you probably haven't been in the car business. Because if you're in the car business, you sell cars, run car dealerships, in the car business whatsoever. I'm sure you've heard of this gentleman, Mr. Tim Kintz. What's going on, Tim? Just hanging out, man, looking to have some fun and drop some bombs. Now, folks, Tim's the president and founder of the Kintz Group, which is ultimately specializing in training and developing salespeople, sales management in the automotive space. I'm trying to get you out, not out, but outside of, in addition to the automotive space, because, dude, believe it or not, there's a lot of applicable knowledge that salespeople in the car business do that work outside the car business. Because as you know, I used to be in the car business. And now I'm not necessarily just in the car business. And it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. Plus, I wanted to bring him on to talk to about lead conversion, right? You've got, you've got a snappy little software, and yeah. you, you, you specialize in lead conversion. Yep. And, lead. folks, he's got a book, okay, Frictionless Closing and Negotiating with Purpose, Tim Kent's his new book. you got more than one book, don't you? Nope, this was my first one. Got another one coming out in January. Oh, yeah, okay. So you got another one coming out. But go get this frictionless closing and negotiating with purpose wherever books are sold. But this one, man, I'm going to start off with a little car business talk. Why? Well, because your specialty is the car business. Dude, what's going on with the car business? I don't understand. This COVID shit hits, and I and I got buddies saying they're selling more than they've ever sold. Man, it's a six inches between your ears, right? And in defense... Some states were shut down, man. Some of these guys couldn't sell cars, right? There was nothing they could do. But the states that were open and they could sell and they had good leadership, they were kicking ass. There's deals out there. They just had to learn how to how to communicate digitally and how to sell a little different. And we, we had to learn to break the damn rules, right? We were so, no, we don't do home delivery. No, we, we won't pick their car up and do service and deliver it back to them. Well, those rules are done. The old, that's not my job, that went away. And there was a hell of a lot of managers real quick that learned, whoa, I didn't really know how to do this stuff. I was just directing my salespeople, my BDC department to do it. Now I got to learn it because we furloughed half of our people. And I think the ones that had the right mindset, it's going to make them better in the long run. Doesn't it? Always does. Yeah. If so, it doesn't kill you, it'll make you better. So have you ever heard dropping bombs? I have. Many Dro- times. Yeah, dropping bombs. We're just going to shoot the shit and talk about challenges and situations. So when it comes to selling, especially in the car business, what's changed in the last, let's say, 20 years? what hasn't right it's i think communication with customers i think the customers number one the simplified is the knowledge they have right when we started selling cars they didn't know what they didn't know they didn't know invoice they didn't know interest rates they didn't have payment calculators on every website and i don't know was that good or bad that they didn't well you good had, sometimes it was and then you had that guy that thought you had 50 percent markup in a car 
and you didn't and they were completely unrealistic and there was nothing that you couldn't show them facts because they wouldn't even believe you if you showed them invoice yeah we all had that guy now at least we're working from facts there's real numbers customers are more educated and bottom line when we see them they're closer to buying than they ever have been right they couldn't do research when we started they might start going dealership to dealership six months early in the old days now they go online for six months and then once they breathe on us they're ready to make a decision so you're either talking to man or talking them out of buying that's a good that's a good uh point so if that's true are the grosses smaller depends depends on the on the salesperson well, well if i know everything as a customer how are you going to make me pay 10 times more than i should mm, 10 times no but can bit. i still make money hell yeah i can still make money how? It's, how? we can't have a race to the bottom it's all about value and relationships with the customers yeah, but if i've already done my research mm-hmm. if what you first said is true you got all these educated buyers i already know you paid x for that car mm-hmm. and i'm willing to give you 500 over Yes or no, or I'm heading to the dealership down the road. I'll never walk the customer because I'm not holding the gross. But if you're having a challenge in the last 15 minutes of the deal, the negotiation, stop looking at the last 15 minutes. Your real problem is your first 15 minutes when the customer showed up. right? When customers show up, their guard's up. And our sales process historically and quite frankly, in so many stores, is not designed to lower that customer's guard. Right? That customer comes in, they have their information, they're nervous about spending the money even though they're there to spend the money. Ultimately, with the majority of them, it comes down to can they afford the monthly payments on it? And we dive right into throwing your guard up. Well, how much are you looking to spend the month so I can show you the right car? How much down do you have? What's your credit like? We make them prove to us that they're real, before we go through the trouble instead of going through the trouble to make them real they're real they're there they drove 30 minutes with their family how do we slow it down how do we have a pattern interrupt how do we, it's about interrupting that pattern how do i lower the guard you know what john maxwell famously say people well, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care yeah and i i gave him that yeah of course <laughs> the whole sun coming up in the morning bro yes that's my idea and uh, you can get everything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want out of life. The best way to get what you want <laughs> is to help others get what that's, they want. That's exactly right. Sounds better. That's what he said. It's that radio voice. But that's what he said. Who? And how he, he said it. Yeah. Dude, that's who said that. I, my wife worked for him. But he for said, years. oh, she did? Yeah. But, but he said, the best way to get what you want is to help others get what they want right. and then you got to throw a little story in about the redhead dude i was lucky to hang out with old zig he's one of the trainers that i've dealt with that like man he's exactly what he preaches oh yeah he walks the same thing he talks a lot of times people don't walk the walk they talk more than you can even imagine he walked yeah. the walk oh yeah zig. there were certain trainers he wouldn't speak at conferences if they were speaking there Why? because of his belief of them wow who, what, do you know who they were? Yeah, I do. Who? <laughs> I'm not saying, but it, it he his morals. What about and, Les Brown? Like Les Brown? Do I? Yeah. Yeah, like Les Brown. He's a motivational son of a gun, isn't he? There's he 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 won't teach you shit about sales, but he but he'll motivate the hell out of you. See, aren't aren't there so many different styles though? And 
no matter who you are, you got to find out what style works best for you. Like with Zig, Zig was a storyteller that had the message embedded in the story, and he kind of had to figure it out. John Maxwell, he's step one, step two, step three, step four. And he uses a story embedded in step one, two, and three, four. What would you consider me? Um, A combo. You tell stories, but it's about steps. It's... You want to write out a script. You want to make sure you hit every step the right way, right? We're, well, that's just I'm that, that way too. I don't. Though. I don't like it. I just do it only because when I say I'm going to train you on something, I like to make sure it's all there. And when I ad lib and talk, like I do, closer school lives. Mm-hmm. If I ad lib and talk, it's not really to me the same thing. It, I think it depends. If you're just looking to light someone's hair on fire, fire them up. Just roll with it, man. Just go tell that story. Make them make them just want to run out and and do something better for themselves but if you're going to teach them something that needs to be repeated like selling step one step two step three you got to have a repeatable process what's your step one step one with what sales process customer comes in we do a a pre-demo trade walk right in the past i trained it for 13 years i was trained on it for 11 years prior to that when i was in the dealership we save the trade for the very end, right? The At the end of the demo, we always said, it's the highest emotion point of the sale, get a commitment. Yeah, and then go walk around their trade, touch all the dents, dings, kick their teeth in, lower all that give, emotions. Give, what, uh, did you ever teach people to like get a weird look on your face like yeah, you smell the fart? That's, that was the workbook I had to teach. That every, was the every, process. Every, every time I'd get into a used car to do trade walk, I'd be like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> Even if it didn't smell, touch the dent. They'll be like, mm. they'll be like, "What do you mean?" I'll be like, "Did you eat in here?" But think about that. So, highest motion point of sale. End of the demo. I got you excited about the car. Here, let me go blow all of that positive emotions I just built just before we sit down to do the most stressful part of the car deal, the negotiation. It doesn't even make sense going there. And and today, we need to be doing a trade. We got to speed the velocity of the car deal up. This three four hour car deals is bullcrap that's that's got to change and we stack the deal we that pre-demo trade walk is where you find out about the customer i'm interrupting that pattern it's not what they're getting anywhere else i'm walking around that car finding out what's important to that customer right what do they want on their next car it's not it's not either or questioning to death it's a conversation they already know what about carmax they'll just go to carmax it's the same thing how come everybody that wants to sell their car they'll say i'll just sell it to carmax carmax has done a good job uh with with branding when it comes to buying used cars though don't didn't absolutely but when i'm walking their car if i do it right that customer becomes the salesperson sure they're selling me their car it's turning the tables, learning to shut up and listen, and that 15 minutes walking their car, scanning their trade into the CRM. So it pushes it into V-Auto. Yeah. Yeah. So now all that's in there. Now the clock starts ticking. Now they're in our CRM. I scan their driver's license. Managers now can do the appraisal while we're on the trade. All those scans just suck it right into CRMs nowadays? Mm Mm-hmm. Damn, that's beautiful. Speeds the whole velocity to deal up. And then it pushes oh, sure. it into V-Auto, and that's where I'm doing my appraisals. So it does, it's all there. There's no handwritten. I'm not bringing you in and setting you down and doing a guest sheet uh, like we were taught. And Yeah, but are any dealerships doing that? Mine do. Uh, but I'm no, obviously, 
yours do. Do any dealerships still do it the old stupid way? <sighs> You'd be amazed, yes. Because if I worked at, let's call it a Kintz dealership, and all I did was went bleep, bleep, and it was all written into my CRM and was all ready to roll, dude, that's freaking amazing. It, that's it. You know, you think about it as you're walking around. You know, we were taught you greet them and build report and investigate them. No, we're 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 building rapport and investigating as we're walking around the car. That's one step. It's not multiple steps. I'm I'm gathering information on the conditioner car. I'm I'm not doing the hmm, putting a penny in the tread and all that bullcrap that we were taught. It's walk but around but it like you're going to buy it. But there's dealerships still doing it. Yes. Okay, At so, the so end, well, end, I want to know what changed. And though. that trade is the biggest time monster, right? It, doing the appraisal. Well, you ain't got to sell me. I like, I like yeah. what you're saying better. But that's a Tim Kent's belief and, and, and technique. I'm talking about the car business in general. What's changed? Not the, the digital and digital communication and digital both sides, right? Digital from the customer coming into us and our digital going out and technology are we integrating technology into our sale process right i think like i have lead converter and lead converter it i'm not a i'm not a software company i don't sell you a crm i don't sell you software i'm a people person i'm the people part of making sure the software you're spending money on every month is actually working that's the problem with so many of these apps so many of these programs is they say here this will appraise your car here this is the crm here this yeah but who's actually helping us develop the process and the accountability and coaching us to help it fit our process right i don't i'm not a believer that you need to change your process to fit mine i believe i i fit mine into your process because if I expect you to blow it all up, it looks like that big, that that big smoke bomb behind you. It's I, I'm not making you change everything for me. We're gonna find out where's the biggest victories we can have with the least amount of pain, right? It's wins. How can we get wins early? And the earlier we can get wins, and salespeople and managers see positive and make more money, then the next thing we implement is easier, and then it's easier. It's. I'm not taking a fire hose and telling you to take a sip of water out of it. And I think that's what happened so much. I think for so long, our business never changed. It was the same. Didn't matter where you were. Now, every market I go to, there's differences. But but if, I'm just I'm thinking, first of all, I know there's car salesmen in the bomb squad. There's listeners that sell cars, yeah. run car dealerships. I got GMs, dealers, and salespeople following me and listening to the podcast so i'm trying to think like this what you're saying again and i agree with it i like it but but if i'm a salesman out there how would i double my income what would i start doing whether it's a kintz run dealership or not because that just makes sense but to me that's a kintz run dealership if a dealership didn't think like you they wouldn't be doing the trade they're still doing the damn thing at the end right yeah but they all have a crm and all almost all crms do have an app so yeah, but they my, can scan stuff, right? Okay, okay so if I'm a salesman, listen to the bomb squad. That's part of speeding the velocity up. Use technology within your process, right? Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Use it to help you speed the volume or the velocity of the deal up. It's like I said, last 15 minutes in your problem, or it's the first 15 minutes, and and making it a smoother process for customers and quicker and and 
and I think biggest thing, for God's sake, stop selling out of desperation and start freaking selling out of inspiration. Yeah. I think we're so damn scared we're going to lose the deal. We're so afraid we're going to lose the deal that we don't make the deal. And if we do make the deal, we're just giving it away. Well, we can't hold gross. Gross profit or not, those aren't dirty words. And somewhere along the line, we keep having this race to the bottom and thinking that we're ripping them off if we're doing making some money on it. Race to the bottom. Explain that. Giving up all the gross. It's we'll spend we'll spend six hundred dollars to get a buyer. That's the average, roughly, per buyer we spend in advertising in the car business. We'll spend six hundred dollars to pull you from a hundred miles away so we could lose a thousand dollars on a car. But we don't spend a dime to retain our customers right that we have right now. I mean, it, I'll ask dealers and managers in class. I'll say, how much you spend per buyer in advertising? They all know it, $600. They all know exactly what it is. It's on the financial statement. I say, how much do you spend per, per customer you sell in retention dollars? Well, what do you mean? We don't, nothing. That's the fundamental problem. We'll spend a ton of money to try to pull people in and get new customers. We don't do anything to retain the ones we got. And you want to make more money, we've got to have retention. Look, I was, I was telling dealers prior to the pandemic, we need to start doing videos for people. There was resistance. I'm not doing a live video. That's too much work. Okay. I kept telling them, we need to do concierge service. And I had some, some of my stores would do it, where we pick your car up and we drop your car off and it's all done through text. Hell, Jeff Bezos has trained us to click and buy. Why haven't we capitalized on that? And some of the stores, some of my stores did it. And their grosses, their, their dollars per RO skyrocketed when they did it. As hell, if somebody was going to come pick your Bentley up and and send you a text saying hey this this and this need to be done do you want to do them click yes or no and you could click yes or no on each item hell you'd click yes on almost all of them if you didn't have to be there and they said they needed to be done it's convenience time is the new commodity right so how are we going to maximize people's time and make i'm not sitting for two hours at a dealership while you're doing my tire rotation shouldn't have to no but go to a service department and look, it's it's insane. Look, think about service when we first even got in the car buying business. it takes too much time. Yeah, but think when we got in service or got in the car business, service departments. How different are they today in most dealership service departments than they were then? That I recognize none. I mean, they look better, better computers, paint the floors, we got stacks of tires and stuff, but nothing's really changed. And here's what's changed. About 85, we had about 95% of the business went to dealerships 30 years ago. And then what happened? Jiffy Lubes popped up all over. And all of a sudden, nobody took it serious that they were going to steal business. And now um, we're losing about 300 billion, over 300 billion a year in service repair revenue to third party uh, repair facilities. It's in the book. It's I don't remember the exact number. It's like three hundred and eighty some odd billion dollars was spent in service, in repairs and maintenance, in two thousand eighteen. Sixty, I think it was sixty five billion was spent in car dealerships. Mm. Do the math. That's that's what 
300 over 300 billion that's been stolen from us and we've never changed our process because we never changed it we never simplified the process we never thought about the customers because that's not the way it is right now the the retail side sales we're at that same paradigm we're at that same tipping point that we are going to evolve our process or we're going to look back and say look at carvana's wait till new cars get into it you know, Carvana is the number five uh, used car distributor. Is that the machine? Mm-hmm. How, do, how does that work? They were zero like five years ago. They didn't exist. Now they're number five. Yeah, but how does it work? I see, the, I see the buildings where it looks like a vending machine. You go online and you buy it, and then you, they give you a little coin. You drop it in, I guess, and it comes down. They, they ship you the coin? Yeah, I guess. I haven't gone there to so, do the physical thing. So what if you go up? It's basically the- online buying, and they deliver the car to your house. So what's the little vending machine? A gimmick? Looks cool. You remember that? Yeah, but I mean, I've actually seen the actual building. I'm, why do people? They're go all there? over. If I'm bringing it to your house, why would I need the building? Can you show up at a Carvana and shop? Yes, but there's not huge inventories. Most of it's all designed online. Yeah, it looks like a. It looks like a vending machine. machine. Yeah. yeah. Push the button, sandwich comes down. But it's they're viable competitors. And who's the we, number one? Are we going to do what's necessary? Carmax. I think something? Carmax is number one. And there's a bunch of the big groups that all get lumped in there. The Penske. So is used car business still good at a car dealership? Yes. Is that where all their gross is made? Both. Right now, it's, the challenge was we were shut down. And then we had a bunch of new car inventory. Used cars were piling up like cordwood. Lease returns were happening. Factories didn't know what to do with it. Then all of a sudden they opened up. Factories didn't open up. And in dealerships, man, I got buddy. They, they sold sell, all the cordwood? They sell over 100, yeah. They sell over 100 trucks a month, man. They were down to six GMCs sitting on their lot because there was no more. They weren't building anything. And then that just drove the cost of, of uh, used cars up at the auctions. So it's been a double whammy. It's been a challenge, but man, most of these guys are holding gross because the inventory's not there. So you're going to pay for it. And, and a lot of customers haven't been grinding based on the, the guys I've been working with. Dude, I know someone that just makes a living buying and selling cars from private individuals. Yeah. Oh, you can if you know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. They just call private individuals, buy the car, take it to an auction. They don't even retail it. Take it to an auction and make money as long as you can get two people bidding you can make a lot of money that's almost like a like a flipping thing Mm -hmm. so what's in the book frictionless closing and negotiating with purpose is it strictly cars or can you apply that to anything apply it to anything i mean it's because you want uh, frictionless closing look selling selling selling's people business doesn't matter what it is my wife's in real estate and you know i always um talk we we always hear it, and I've said it forever that you got to create mental ownership before customers take physical and financial ownership. What the hell does that mean, though? Right? When I'm doing my walk around, how do I create mental ownership? And really, I break it down because um, our sale process didn't allow me. We just greeted them and went out to the cars and just started bouncing around. Well, you can't create mental ownership when you just go from the greeting to the inventory because you don't know anything about their life. Right? That customer walks on the lot. They have a blank canvas of their life. You, your job is to ask questions, find out what's important to them, paint that picture, and then when you present and demonstrate your vehicle, your job is to paint that vehicle into their life. It's like I always say, a really good realtor 
if you go look at a house with them, they'll walk you through that house and they'll have the kids picking out the room and they'll have you picking out your curtains and figuring out what furniture you need to get for that house. And when they're really good, you walk out of that house and you've already mentally moved your furniture into that house and you haven't even put a bid in on it yet. That's what creating mental ownership is. How can I get you owning that vehicle before we sit down and start working at that car deal? And I understand, look, selling a house and selling a car are different. There's a lot more competition. It's a whole different buying process. But if you're not walk, if if you're not walking around that customer's car, if you're not getting to know that customer early on, then you can't you can't get no, get them to want to buy your car more than you want to sell it. Really, that's what you want to get. Anything you're selling, you want them to buy it more than you want to sell it. Because whoever appears least wins. Yeah. Whoever's willing to walk away from a deal is going to get the best deal. Not that you don't want it, but it goes back to that desperation. Works the same way in relationships. The person that cares the least is in control. That's right. I'll walk away. And and then they don't want you to. Yeah, like if you're if you're dating a girl and the girl could care less if you ever called her again, dude, she's got you hooked. Or vice versa. Then you can't quit calling her. It's the person that can that can walk away. Like in anything. Yeah. You know you never been in a relationship where like they they uh, were really in love with you and like, you know, you knew you could get away with murder because they just loved you. But as soon as they started losing interest, you're like, hey, wait a minute. How come you don't love me no more? You know, because, again, the, the control started to shift. Absolutely. You Person. want what you don't have and can't get. Indeed. But it's yeah, really more important now than ever is how do you create separation in a noisy market, right? How do you differentiate yourself? Everybody's got... Everybody's got what you're selling. How do you create that separate? And it's harder now than it's ever been. It's not easy. But what are you doing different? Like, I'm a huge advocate of of becoming good at digital communication and video, sending custom videos to customers and and personalizing them. Hell, I, that's my next program that we're working on right now. It's Pro Video Now, where it's actual video i send you and i know when you open it and i get all the stats on on you watching it and we can communicate through it because i think customers want that i think it's it's personal it's real they don't want these can walk around videos from the factory they want what's youtube it's all crap you'll sit and watch cats jumping through windows and dogs going down water slides for an hour but you won't watch the production stuff the same that's what everybody's spending all their time on so how can we have that for customers? And I think it's got to be done. Is it more work? Yeah. But what's your other choice? Fail. Just being average, being the tallest midget. So if you're listening, folks, and you run a car dealership, I'd say, shit, go to the thekintzgroup.com, right? The Kintz Group? Kintzgroup.com. Kintz Group, K-I-N-T-Z Group. That's right. We, I, we just have to evolve, man. We we evolve or we become become extinct. Well, being Smithsonian, the, does the car business still have? Because I've heard, I, you know, I don't, I haven't worked at a dealership in a long time, so I, I'm I'm aware things change. So I know though, if I walked into any dealership in the country, I could improve on their numbers. How do I know that? Because I will train people effectively, right. right, and I will leverage technology. And I will do the basic blocking and tackling. Now, if they're already doing all that, 
I would have a harder time increasing their their numbers. Is there anything like that if I didn't do, I'd be I'd be screwed? Like, because I'm just assuming this. Why I haven't I haven't done it in a while? I just remember the old car business, but it's changed a little bit. People are coming in. What if I showed up and I thought, man, I can increase anybody's business, and then I can't because I'm teaching some old school shit. I'm teaching them to do the walk around at the end. Yeah, you know when you. Not just you, but when we say the word old school, somehow we say it like it's a bad thing. Look, there's good old school and there's bad old school. Well, I was good old school. But my point is, if I go run a dealership today thinking like it was before and it's not, I would actually probably hurt that dealership. Potentially. But you also would bring in salesmanship. You would bring in, we're going to be salespeople. And we're going to close these people that are coming into the dealership. And if that customer leaves, that means we failed. We don't have a 20% closing ratio. We have an 80% loss ratio, for crying out loud. Look, it's, I understand it's like baseball, a game of failure, right? But it's not a game of failure. It's a, it's, it's a game of adjustments. And we would keep making adjustments as we don't close deals. It's not the customer's an idiot. No. It's we didn't do a good enough job. What could we have done better? Because there's always something you could have done better. It's It's... It's not that we didn't hold gross because the customer was grinding us. No, maybe we didn't build enough value. Maybe we didn't close on the car and we used money to try to close. Maybe we're using price to chum the waters to see if they're real. No, they're real. Stop using price to try to get a commitment. And you would learn as you went and you would make adjustments and you would understand that we all are in this thing together. I think that's... It's almost like in a dealership, you've got like six different companies. You got your new car company, you got your used car company, you got your F&I company, you got your service department, and and they're all battling against each other on who's going to make more money. Sales is pissed at service because they overcharge them on accessories. Used car department doesn't like them because they do too much recon. Why the hell does every one of our trade-ins have to have new brakes and new windshield wipers? And you don't sell anybody brakes and windshield wipers in service, right? And it's always that battle. F and I stealing our gross and flipping in the back and cutting the front end gross. We got to end all that, that, that battling. And what is that common goal, man? All of us, it's got to be that circle of life. Dealership 360 really is. When are you going to open a dealership? Man, the big boys got all the money for doing those. They're expensive now, aren't they? They are insane. What if what if shit hit the fan and and you had to go back to the car business? Okay. Would you be the GM? What would you be? Sure. Would you rather be the GM, a salesperson, a sales manager, a closer, a finance director, the service director? Finance director just selling air. Hey, look, here's here's the difference. If you're a manager, in the front end, you're not a sales manager, not a used car manager, not an F&I manager. Everybody's a sales manager. That's it. We're all there to manage sales. You may focus on handling the F&I side. You may focus on used car, but having the old, uh, old thing of, oh, man, you don't understand. Our used car manager, he's not good with people. Well, then he better freaking get good with people because every single coach on that team needs to be able to coach. You see it in sports. They'll take the offensive line coach. Next thing you know, he's the defensive back coach the next year. It, they don't say, oh, he's just good with the big fat guys. He's not even good with the with the D-backs. No, they don't do that. They Everybody learns. Everybody evolves. If you're a sales manager, you're doing one-on-ones. If you're a sales manager, you're going to get up and do training. How can, you tra- how can you desk deals if you're not training? And I think that's a challenge. 
everybody has their own processes. Everybody does different things. They all think they do the same stuff. They don't. And desk and deals is one of them. So if I'm a, if I'm a car dealer or a group, can I hire you to come revamp, yes. revamp, and rework my processes? As long as you're the pig and not the chicken at breakfast. What does that mean? You sit down and eat bacon and eggs. Who's more committed, the chicken or the pig? The pig. Pig's all in, baby. As long as you're all in, because it's my name going on it. It's going to be my physical time away from my family in the store, and I love going in. And I, hell, I got a big Chevy store we worked with. Those guys bought in. They did everything, and it was top down. And look, was were they perfect? Hell no. But they went from losing money selling 300 cars a month to making insane amount of money their average manager after my first year there made 80 grand more than they ever had when they were at that dealership all the salespeople except for two made more money than they did the previous year look they're gonna make more money and when you help them make more money and have wins then they're all bought in so and they love you yeah I, look my name's going on it too i'll be i'll be the pig and I need them to be committed. Look, we'll hold seminars. I love doing workshops. We do them off-site. We do them at Top Golf's, and we have fun and hit golf balls at lunch and hang out afterwards and, and hit golf balls. I'm a huge believer in having, like, the heavy hitters game where they get to autograph bats when they have big grosses. We have a build and burn program where it's a weekly a contest based on your closing ratio. So if you got the best closing ratio of the week you get a dumbbell we got these cool little golden dumbbells say every customer counts and um we have a fire extinguisher and um because you're burning through ups and every meeting you'd have to bring the fire extinguisher with you if you had the worst closing ratio of the week and if you had the best you get the dumbbell and whoever has the best closing ratio at the end of the month gets to keep the dumbbells and they collect them they're these little two pound golden dumbbells but it's it's all about recognition we're afraid that well, yeah, but won't he get his feelings hurt if he's the worst? Well, my feelings hurt because he's the worst. It's get better. You don't want the you don't want the fire extinguisher because you're burning through ups two two weeks in a row, right? But I think that fun. I have volleyballs for learning how to close better and learning skills. It's how can we bring Why fun sports? and competition? Because that's my background. Sports. That's all I ever did, man. Grew up in a little town outside of St. Louis. Played baseball. Got recruited, played out in Arizona for three years, went to one year in, in California, then went to Alaska to play summer baseball and ended up staying in Anchorage for 11 years running. Started out washing cars and then uh, running so, a deal. So what, what happened to the baseball? You know, you just get to a certain point and you realize you're not making the big leagues. I grew up in it. And Is that a hard I was around it sport and, to get into? Yeah, as a pitcher, you know, I knew I wasn't making the bigs. And back then you made seven fifty a month if, when you signed and you drove around in a bus in the Pacific Northwest and you only get paid during the season. You don't get paid during spring training. You get a per diem and a hotel room. And I didn't want to live with three other guys deciding if we wanted a 12-pack and one pizza or two pizzas and a six-pack that night that's it's a tough life so, now, so I got plenty of guys that, buddies that made it but you know it's a hard life so you so you said screw that and you went to work in a car dealership right well, they got me away? a job when i went to alaska to get you a job in summer baseball they got me a job washing cars at the honda actor store and then you play baseball at night and once i realized i, I got hurt again and so you were I a porter anywhere. i was a pitcher yeah i just washing porter cars. and a pitcher it's the wrong wrong city to be a porter a lot guy Snow. We call them lot guys. Yeah, lot guys, porter. 
but detailers, the, whatever they want to call it. Well, yeah. But I had a, I that's had a the guy beginning there. for for those of you that don't know. That's like literally the. Right. I don't want to say the lowest job because it's not a low job, but it's definitely the the lowest mm-hmm. on the totem pole when it comes to. But I had a dealership. A, I had a guy there that cared about, that he was a sports fan. We got along, and he took Dan Schumacher, man, took me under his wing. Said, "Look, go sell shoes at Kenny's, and learn how to sell." And that was back when Kenny's was kind of the thing. That was Woolworths owned them. And I remember I was their number one in, uh, accessory salesperson because I sold more insoles. I wrote an article for their newsletter. And then I, he hired me back. Every morning we trained for 30 minutes, though. And I didn't know any different. I was coming out of my whole life on a baseball field, sports. So training is just what you do. I was a pitcher. We trained 98% of the time and played 2%. But so how'd then you know I from, went back how'd you to know the from a porter to a salesman? Dan. He said, Quit. Tricked me in. Tricked me brought me in you know i didn't plan i always say you never plan to go to denny's you just end up there at two in the morning that's what happened i never planned i was going to be a big league baseball player there was no doubt but dan actually showed me the potential and spent time with me and actually gave a crap right and helped me get better and then just kind of worked up f and i and sales manager and then i in in alaska uh-huh i went to nada dealer academy what, what town in alaska anchorage what's the population there like 300,000. 300, so you weren't at a high-volume store. Mm, we, pretty good. We sold a couple hundred a month out of uh Subaru store. Really? We had a Honda Acura dual store. We had six. The last place. I was at a few different places. But the whole career was in Anchorage. You had Kyle Worthington up there, baby. So what happens? dog spot. What, 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 what happens when it, like, snowed? Hurt? You slowed down some, but it just is what it is. What happens when it's 120 degrees in Vegas? People still go out and you just live, right? You just learn to adapt and adjust. Did you work for someone that made you call out of phone books or were you just a, waiting for the customers to come Classifieds. in? Classifieds. But you'd call? Yeah, we had to. You'd work? We had to. Because you know there's dealerships. They just wait for traffic. Yeah, they stand around in a sales circle. Sales managers and... don't know shit. They just sit there and bullshit with their sales guys and wait. And then they sell two, 300 cars, think they're doing great. But it's not their fault because their manager's prior to them didn't do anything and or no I mean, it's just been the culture it's a culture of complacency yeah and that's that's exactly what's been created for because you've you've said it we all said bad habits are formed during good times and good habits are formed during bad times well we went through 10 plus 11 years 12 years of boom people we weren't selling cars people were buying cars from us face it how much hey, were you making what's that as a salesman in alaska 60-ish, plus or minus. It was it was a good market. Um, and then I ended up working to the point where I went to NADA Dealer Academy, and then I was running. We had six franchises at the time. You, did they pay well up there? Really well. Because like here in Vegas, dude, the GM's doing 500, 750. Yeah, I wasn't that high, but I was Yeah, good. well, there's not that high out in some states. Like I always hear about it. It's like, dude, my whole business, car business – was Oregon, Seattle, Las Vegas. I didn't yeah. sell in New York, nor would I want to. That, that, that's a weird market. Like, you know, your 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 dealership's a building. Yeah. And no lot, no nothing. Yeah. Depends where you're at, right? You know, you get outside of the city. <clears throat> well, Manhattan. It's more normal. Yeah, Manhattan's. I worked with a store downtown, big Honda store there. And yeah, it was odd. 40 cars on the lot, and they're still selling insane amount of cars. But it's process. Their yeah. process. See, you can't just cookie cutter stick what 
my process is in there and it's all going to work because it has to be adapted it's not one size fits all but it was you know it was fun up in alaska and after 11 years man i did my time and i left and went to work for a training company and it was that was a great 13 years man that's where we met a long time ago i remember my old training company we went to the saint regis hotel in newport beach and we were going to create a new dvd series on closing and overcoming objections and negotiating and we sat down me and two other trainers and and joe and we said okay what's the let's begin with the end in mind what's this end product even going to look like and what's going to be the purpose of it and just through conversation somebody said you know it'd be a lot easier if this was online and people could just log in i'll always remember that and that didn't exist then oh it did not oh it did it, it existed but it wasn't public it, everybody right. didn't know about it that's right and we found a platform that sucked but it was a platform we chopped up 45 minute oh, videos this is before before lightspeed and then our our business what was out guy what was out yours. there though i forget the name of it but it was crap it was because yeah, i like to say i was like the first i didn't know of any yeah was there was, another one out there it was before you and then we heard of you and and we wanted to get your technology to create our own yeah and then that's a good, where there's a good story that joe told tells he says oh yeah we because i couldn't close joe and i couldn't figure out why he wouldn't close mm-hmm. you know i showed him everything i freaking gave him all the freaking inside inside advice and then they just disappeared for like a year and then when he finally came back he said oh we were trying to build it ourselves yeah yeah, I was on. So the, keep going. Then what? But happened? that started there at that St. Regis, man. So, so just, you were on the team then too. Yeah, thirteen years. Okay, so 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 you. So you, then we started. We chopped up all the videos and we put all the old one take. It's pretty freaking hard what was shot. I'm forty five minute one take videos that that he did. Uh, but then we realized that sucked. The it was better than what was out there, but it didn't. As times evolved, people wanted new stuff they realized their VHSs were just chopped up. And um, I remember coming here and shooting video, and we all were kind of going through the learning process at that time. What's the sweet spot on how long it should be? How much content should we go into? And realizing that, you know, that kind of that three to five, maybe seven minutes, you start getting past that, we lose them. I remember you, you reminding us nonstop it's not a video it's a chapter it's a course <laughs> but that's burned into my head now but it was a it's true though it is it's absolutely true because they you watch videos you take courses right and it's learning it's not just sitting on youtube watching you know 1d it's, how'd you find joe it's taken that um i went through his training classes and when then, and the then he said, hey, why don't you come to work for me? When I went to the NADA convention, uh, after I graduated from Dealer Academy, I... But usually when you graduate from Dealer Academy, you end up at GM. I was, but I was done with Alaska, and I wanted to get the hell out of there. Uh. And I remember going and listening to Joe speak, and I went and listened to Grant speak, and I looked at their programs, and I just... Joe's worked for me because it was, it was the entire process from management all the way through and um went to the classes and then once man we went through like two weeks of 30 below zero and i said i'm done i'm out of here my wife did too and um i just applied thinking you know i hate public speaking i hated it now speaking to my salespeople was no big deal because i could fire them if they didn't like it but i hated public speaking and i thought that'd be a hell of a challenge 
and went there and man it was it was a boot camp it was hard it it took at that time the class was so in depth and so scripted it would take us six to eight months to be able to do our entire class by ourselves um and the critique and the coaching would make most people and it did quit you couldn't handle it because you'd look at the coaching as failing no it's just we, look, we strive for perfection, but we don't demand it. This is what perfection is. Move forward, right? We're going to keep progressing. We're going to keep getting better. You know, perfection's the enemy of progress so often, and that kept so many people. They wanted to be perfect before they got up and did it. Um, but ultimately, it was perfection. If if Kathleen, she's on my wall of gratitude. She was a general manager there. She's She's a special woman, and she... We knew she cared more about us getting better than we cared about us getting better. She, she was good, and she, she truly spent time with us and helped us. Mm. And, man, it was tough sometimes, but so, it was rewarding. At, yeah, so after 13 years of that, at some point you said, screw it, I'm going to do my own thing. What made you do that? I had a butt, actually, I said, I'm done with training. Groundhog Day, and I saw the evolution of our business and the technology coming in, and all the things that needed to be changed, and how hard it was as a as a hotel trainer, you know, just going around doing workshops but not actually being in dealerships. How Which doesn't work very well, does it? Not today. It did then before all the technology and changes, but now. If you're not in a store, you don't know the difference between Viauto and Venn Solutions. You don't know dealer track and dealer socket. It's you don't know any of that. And um, I actually went and ran my buddy's uh, Ford store for a year, and that was the best thing I ever did. Yeah, because I was hand, I mean, I was managing the inventory and the people, everything. Right, and I had to get back in it. I had to get my mojo going. It's and, fun though, right? Oh yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes. It, Sometimes you're beating your head against the wall. Sometimes I love it. It's a grind. It, absolutely. But when you're there every single day and you're busting your ass and and the speed of with training, it's not Christmas tree lights. Plug Christmas tree lights in, they all come on. That ain't that way with training. They don't all come on. Everybody doesn't get it. And it's that coaching, having that patience right with them and and helping everybody we're not all created equal as salespeople. we're not all created equal and you can i coach you can i coach you based on your strengths right how often do we try to make somebody you get the old guy that hates digital and he'll never be good at digital but we keep busting his balls trying to get him good at digital mm-hmm. or the, the kid that doesn't like talking to fresh ups Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, you get that young guy that doesn't like talking to fresh ups, but we try to get them comfortable with it. Why? Why do we not try to work on people's strengths when we we spend so much energy in demotivating guys and tearing down, tearing them down, trying to make them good at something they'll never be good at? And that's that coaching. My son plays select baseball, and don't try to change every hitter and make them swing the same. No, everybody's got different body shapes and comfort zones a great coach can coach you based on you and make you the best you you can be but it's that you know how do kids spell love t-i-m-e how do our people know we care about them t-i-m-e what do we not 
do in a dealership spend time with our people because we're so busy doing stuff all kinds of stuff stuff has dealerships started training people more now i heard from because i still have car dealer buddies i they, they say number one the old days are over that's what they tell me and there's no salesman left and i'm like what do you mean they're like dude the car salesman of today is not the same i'm like i don't get it what does that mean they're not trained i'm like what do you mean nobody was trained the millennials yeah but, yeah, but dude back in the, back in the day there was a you know there was some competitiveness yeah competitiveness. there was like a camaraderie there was like a, it was like a fraternity almost because the managers were not on their freaking computer and phones we, we were we didn't have computers to get on we were better managers 20 years ago because our heads weren't buried in viado do you teach that now though hell yeah you, you don't you don't manage in your in your office you manage on the floor the hell out of your office get out there with your people and spend time with them that's the that's the missing link it's look i hate this whole we can't find good people millennials are lazy they're not driven by money they don't want to work hard they're not competitive that's bull crap there's some badass navy seals that are millennials there's some badass athletes that are millennials look you make them competitive we're the ones our generation took the fucking trophies away and took the scoreboard down. Don't bitch about them not being competitive. Let's make them competitive. There you go. I like that. So let me ask you this. If you uh, could go back and do it all over, how come you're not running a car dealership? What what made you want to start your own business? Law of multiplication and start helping m- multiple stores. And truly, so the fourth store I was in, my wife hated Oklahoma at the time. So... And we were still living in Dallas, and I was commuting. So that's a long. That was drive. the number one reason why I left that store and went back. And I was looking around for what what's next. And I had a buddy call me up and say, "Hey, I see you're not there anymore. You want to come train our store while you're figuring out what you're going to do when you grow up?" So I went there, and then another guy called me up and said, "Hey, what are you up to? Would you come train our store?" And before you know it, I had half a dozen stores I was going into during the, uh, every month. And I couldn't really justify getting out of it. Now it's paying you too well. But if you but if you were going to give your kids advice on whether to get a job or 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 start a business, what what, what advice would you give them? <coughs> Have a career. Sit down and figure out what's your long term vision. Where what do you want in ten fifteen years? Maybe I'm weird. My mom tells me when I was a little kid, I used to ask for GE stock and gold for Christmas. I don't know if that's normal, but I don't think so. But it's... it's. Did it's, you get it? No. They bummer. never got me to one of them. Yeah, bummer. They had a working class, Yeah, but imagine, imagine and, back then, if they would have just got you what you asked for, what that'd be worth today? I think... Um, I think there's chiefs, I think there's Indians, and I think it depends on everybody. Everybody's not designed to be an entrepreneur. Everybody's not designed to create their own business. Um, Ideally, if you can create your own business, that's awesome. But if you don't, that doesn't mean you can't be successful, right? It's Success doesn't need to be defined by your wallet. Look, my, uh, my brother... He's not an entrepreneur, but he had a very successful life. He's he raised two unbelievable daughters, and 
he did never have the desire to have his own business. He punched a clock and he came in and he busted his ass and was the best at what he could do for for that uh, food uh, company. And he was great at that and he had a successful life. So I think we sometimes want to think that the only thing that defines success is your bank account to some people absolutely and that's not a bad thing if that's what defines it or your business and how big you built it that's great but i think my both of my kids are different and i think as they're growing up we'll figure it out which which one you like better both (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's weird how that's fine two kids can be so different I know, but every time I ask parents, you know, which kid you like better, they always want to say, you know, oh, I like them all the same. When in reality... I like them different. Well, not only that, but you always have a favorite. But the the, the difference is the favorites change. Yeah. Right? Because like like last week, my favorite's this one. Well, why? Well, because they were doing this or, you know, they were starting to be funnier. And, you know, then the next week, you know, this one's being the sweetest. That one's being a brat. So I switch. So when people say, which one's my favorite? I always tell them one name. Depends. because it's 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 which kids doing the best or yeah. or what's making me the happiest that week look here's the bottom line i only got it i got a 10 and 11 year old i got a couple more years of being their parent and then i'm just their advisor that's right i mean that's the reality and you know me and my son we you know i kick his ass playing Fortnite, and he's the second best Fortnite player in our house and me and my daughter it's a whole different relationship i've never got into Fortnite. is it good don't do it so so when you left joe's like you 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 went out there you weren't planning on starting a business and then people started saying hey come train my business yes so so what what did you develop since then like what did you realize and develop well really what i realized the difference when i went ran a store and i realized holy crap i've been teaching this this and this and that's got to change because what are those things that need to change well as simple as the trade being moved up front Right, the appraisal getting done while they're on a demo. So when that customer comes back, that you know, the old saying with speed kills on the lot, bullcrap. Slow kills on the lot and slow kills in the office. Right, I understood the velocity of that deal was insane, um, and in how involved managers really had to be in a deal mm-hmm. early and often, and not just throwing salespeople out there because salespeople will do the best they can but man they get their teeth kicked in and they're as good as they're going to get on their own and if that manager's not out there if that coach isn't out there with them we're setting them up for failure you can develop winners and you can develop losers are you putting your guys in positions to lose or are you putting them in positions to win and i realize how often we take for granted the skill level of our guys because we talked about a skill once did we talked about the maintenance clothes the other day why didn't you use it on this guy because we talked about it we never practiced it it's not instinct you know and if you think you stink it's got to be your instinct that's the bottom line man when you're negotiating it's air you got you and them and there's no shiny object think long think wrong <laughs> it's too late man <laughs> if you think you stink i've never heard that one it's got to be your instinct it does just got to pop out it needs to be second nature yeah if you're thinking about it it's too late man it's anything no well, matter what we're doing. Folks, if you're running a car dealership or you work at a car dealership, you obviously can tell just by listening that he knows what the hell's going on at a car dealership. But I'm here to tell you that you that you probably should think about taking the word up and car and appraisal out mm-hmm. 
because I'm telling you, dude, your your content applies to more than just a car dealership. You can take those same principles and apply it to a furniture store, a plumbing supply company, anybody with a training organization. I'll bet you 50 bucks you go in there and, and apply what you teach. They're going to freaking get the results at that organization too. Absolutely. But right, but right now you're in a market, even though it's a lucrative market, and you can stay there your whole life. Problem is, is I, I, my mission is to get the knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. You have it. Problem is, you're just sitting there in the car business, man. <laughs> Dude, there's realtors listening to this that would that, that could take what you teach and freaking benefit. They read your book. If it, 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 your book's not necessarily about the car business, so if I was you guys, I'd all go get his book, Frictionless Closing and Negotiating with Purpose. But if you're in the car business specifically, I'd be reaching out to Kent's group to see if he can help you or you know the other guy <laughs> either one i don't really care like yeah. as long as you get one of them that's right but but all kidding all kidding aside um i appreciate you coming in I appreciate you having me and uh you know your shit that's for sure and if you guys aren't following them go to the tim kintz k-i-n-t-z and freaking get more because i see you posting some nice shit nice right. shit dude good, good tips Yes. It's almost like I'm following myself. No kidding. It's like we have the the best company helping us out with that. That's right. Folks, until next time, share this out. If it doesn't work for you, it might work for someone else. And as always, keep it real. This is Dropping Bombs with The Real Bradley. Subscribe.